Welcome. I'm your host, Roger Tucker. I'm a native of Newark, New Jersey. I'll be interviewing artists, historians, authors, and other cultural thought leaders to discuss the cultural impact and influence that Newark has had and continues to have on their lives and work. It's my pleasure and honor to have a distinguished Newark, New Jersey creative on the show today. Nell Painter, the painter formerly known as the historian Nell Irvin Painter, is the author of many books, including The History of White People, Sojourner Truth, A Life, A Symbol, Creating Black Americans, and Old in Art School, A Memoir of Starting Over. She earned her MA and PhD at Harvard University. She earned a BA in Anthropology from the University of California, Berkeley, an MA at the University of California, Los Angeles, and an MFA from Rhode Island School of Design. Nell is the Edwards Professor of American History Emerita, Princeton University, and lives and works in Newark, New Jersey. Nell states, my work carries discursive as well as visual meaning, and I can make it in my characteristic manual plus digital process. Using found images and digital manipulation, I reconfigure the past and revision myself through self-portraits. After a life of historical truth and political engagement with American society, my artwork represents freedom, including the freedom to be totally self-centered. <laughs> when I think of Nell's literary and visual art practices, I think of one of my favorite quotes from 1961. Oh. It is by the iconic American author and social justice advocate, James Baldwin. The quote, Artists are here to disturb the peace. So we are going to find out during our conversation today how Nell uses her artistic talents to disturb the peace. Welcome, Nell. Thank you, Roger. Nice to be here with you. Nell, you are originally from Houston, Texas. Well, no, wait. I am 10 weeks in Houston, Texas. Just 10 weeks. And then what? And then where did you grow up? The Bay Area, Oakland, California. Ah, great. So I'm a Californian. You're a Cal. Okay, great. But uh, I have to tell you, Roger, um, a couple of years ago, oh, three years ago now, when Olden Art School first came out and I was on my book tour, I went to Houston and a friend uh, took me to the neighborhood where my parents had lived and I saw the hospital where I was born. Houston Hospital for Negroes. Oh. It's uh, behind chain link fence now, but it's there. And I'm going to make some art around that. Oh, fantastic. So just 10 weeks in Houston. That's right. <laughs> well, the West Coast, the Bay Area was my second or is my was my second favorite place outside of the New York area. Uh-huh. And um, but I I said, you know, it's a little too far. Um, and so sort of Miami sort of became my second favorite place. Oh, really? And uh, so I'll talk to you about that another time. Mm -hmm. so, um, my, my first question is, how and when did you arrive in Newark? Um, let's see. We moved to Newark in 2002. Mm -hmm. Thanks to the dearly departed Clement Price. Uh, Clem was... Um, for a while, uh, my colleague at Princeton, 
And uh, he very kindly showed us around. We had wanted to move to the city uh, for some time, but we had no way in. And Clem was our guide. And he drove us through Branchbrook Park and through um, uh, Forest Hill. And he said, this is your neighborhood. And so it was. And so we uh, moved there in 2002 and we stayed there until 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to live on Ridge Street. Great, great. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. Mm-hmm. Were you near the Valentine uh, Gates? Uh, yes, actually. Um, I would I would walk every morning in the park. I would not enter at the Valentine Gates, but I would exit there. Great. Yeah, it's a beautiful park. I, I grew up in North Newark. Aha! Uh-huh. So... Um, uh, Branchbrook Park was our within two and a half blocks away. Sure. Yeah, our uh, place of all kinds of refuge and fun. Sure, we had picnics there by the lake. Yes, um, and the fact that it's a Olmstead Park. Yes, and the oldest public park in the country. And actually, Newark has what two Olmstead parks? Wequake Park is the other. Wequake oh, is too. I didn't know Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So we have. So it's um so it's, I'm glad you mentioned Branchwood Park because it's one of my favorite places. Yeah. So uh, the next question is how was living or how has living in Newark informed your literary and art practices? Oh golly, um, I would say that it's given me um, wonderful communities. So, for instance, I didn't know you until I moved to Newark. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I think of you, I think of Algyra, and I didn't know Algyra before I moved to Newark. Um, I think the greatest gift has been the arts community. But just the relaxation of being around a really multicultural, multiracial community has meant so much. It was just so tiresome being in Princeton in a token minority situation. And the white people there didn't know they were all working through the same script. They had no self-awareness. Whereas even um, in the white people in Newark who were used to living among uh, black people and brown people and all sorts of people, don't work on that same tired script. So, you know, it really was a burden off. And in some ways, you know, we have been up here as coronavirus refugees. Next week, it'll be a year. And it's very easy to live here. It's uh, rural, we're near a small town, but we're not in a small town. But it's too white. Okay. Okay. Well, that's the subject of many of your publications, this idea of race and, and whiteness and blackness. You've, you have uh, two uh, writing and artist books titled uh, From Slavery to Freedom. Yeah. And um, American Whiteness Since Trump 2020. Yeah. And these books are part of your In the Year of the Great Upheaval 2020 series. Yeah. The two books seem like personal journals. And that you're sharing with the public, to me. Mm. And they are visually so emphatic. They seem very much of the time. You seem like a reporter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A reporter yeah. that knows how to sketch and how to draw. 
Nell, why was it so important to produce the series? The first one, uh, American Whiteness Since Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me back up a little bit. Um, in 2010, I published The History of White People, which uh, is still a very popular book. Mm-hmm. But it was published in, in 2010. That is to say, uh, during Obama, before Trump. And American whiteness has changed tremendously. I mean, the point of the book, the 2010 book, is that things change. Right. It's, um, it's a history of constructions of American whiteness. Constructions, plural, over time, over place, and so forth. Things change. So um, on the one hand, I needed to bring that up to date, uh, American whiteness since Trump, but I couldn't do it the way I had done the scholarly book, The History of White People, because I just don't work like that anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, American whiteness since Trump was my project and uh, an artist residency in Bolliasco, Italy, in Liguria. So I worked on that in February and March. Glenn was with me, my husband. Mm -hmm. uh, And we fled uh, literally Italy uh, on the 13th of March on the last airplane out of Genoa. Mm -hmm. And we arrived um, very late that evening in JFK just before all hell broke loose the next day. We came directly up here, um, didn't even unpack. So uh, on the one hand, that American whiteness since Trump ends at a really crucial point. You know, it's an incomplete book because so much has happened since then. First, coronavirus, which isn't really directly a whiteness thing, even though we know from reportage that the way it is unfolded and the way it is killed, it has been racially uh mortal sure um so i don't know uh how coronavirus would fit in bringing that up to date though i suppose the whole question of masks and uh, the so-called militias in the state houses i i haven't faced that yet i will in the fall okay um so that uh it that that artist book ended uh, in March. And then came the heart-rending trauma of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and uh, Ahmed Arbery, you know, and uh, on top of this horrible history of of racial violence. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I really wanted to address that. And I must say that From Slavery to Freedom is the most emotionally urgent work I have ever made. Uh, What you don't have is the last one, which is called I Knit Socks for Adrian. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, there are three images, and uh, it's images and text, and it's about feeling marooned, lost, exhausted, far from home, afraid um, and immobilized Mm -hmm. and all I could do was knit. So I knit socks and I knit socks for Adrian. So the first two panels are me, a self-portrait, 
The last one is my knitting hands plus a band of that marvelous mural of Adrian's white dresses uh, along the Carter Highway. Mm-hmm. Wow, amazing. The, I, I use the word emphatic, and I think your term, a sense of urgency, yeah. really comes across. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the language, but more so for me, visually, in the, mm-hmm. in the images, um, how did you decide what images you wanted and then what medium you were going to work in? To Gee, um, I think it all happens at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that the title, I knew the title was going to be From Slavery to Freedom because that first um, resonated with one of my formative books in history, which was From Slavery to Freedom by John Hope Franklin. And um, I I grew up in a left leaning household in the Bay Area, yeah. but uh, we had we had books, and we probably had a first edition from 1947. So that book um, taught me that there was another history from the history that I learned at school, mm-hmm. and um, the history which I thought of as a pack of lies. So from slavery to freedom was kind of my my key to freedom mm-hmm. as a historian. So I wanted to use that title because the time also felt like slavery, that is the murders and the history of trauma and the history of bloodshed, but also at the same time, this incredible upwelling of hundreds of thousands of Americans. And this time, unlike before, unlike the 60s and 70s, it wasn't just Black people and a few non-Black allies. It felt much more like a massive American. So that was the freedom part. So back and forth in these images are images associated with slavery, like um, racial killings, um, the the Confederate monuments, um, the song Dixie, uh, Trump on Confederate flags. And then there's also in the middle, there's Juneteenth, um, which comes out of actually a piece that I wrote for the Paris Review. Mm-hmm. It's called On Horseback. Ah. And the first image is a photograph of uh, a young black woman in Oakland who took part in the George Floyd protest on her horse. Now, I grew up riding horseback. As I told you, I'm originally, well, just a teeny bit, from Texas. My father, both my parents were Texans. My mother's background is more Louisiana, and my father's is pure Texan. No, it's not pure Texan. It's half Texan. He's, okay. He was, uh, his mother was beachy. But at any rate, my father grew up riding horseback. And when I was a kid, my father and I used to ride horses. So this piece in the Paris Review starts with Oakland and the young woman on horseback and then goes into my own autobiography and uh, a print that I made, actually I made up here in the Adirondacks, um, about riding horseback in San Pablo with my father. One, two, three, four.
So could you tell us a little, I'm going to uh, post some of the images from both of these books on our website. Uh, I'll send you uh, from um, I Knit Socks for I Knit Socks for the, for the yeah. third book. Can you, can you talk about your art process? Because, and if that process has changed over the years or has it basically been pretty much the same? I mean, what? No, it's, it's changed. It's changed. So um, my first art uh, degree is a BFA from Rutgers, from Mason Gross. Mm-hmm. And I was a painter and I painted with oils. And um, then my MFA, as you mentioned, is also in painting from uh, the Rhode Island School of Design. There I started using acrylic. Okay. But in, in all of that schooling, um, I was being schooled as a painter. And I actually, especially at RISD, I was being schooled to become a hotshot young white male artist. <laughs> and you know that didn't work out. <laughs> uh, so um, the first big turning uh, occurred between my first and second years uh, at RISD when I started using digital as well as men. Oh, okay. Uh, so that made a big difference because digital manipulation pulled me away from um, my habits in discursive meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I've been a historian longer than most people have been alive. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that was hard hard habits of thought for me to break to get into just visual meaning. Right. Um, The great thing about Photoshop is that it's based in pixels and pixels don't care whom they're next to. So, uh, and you can change a pixel any old way. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was very useful to get away from Well, I can make the analogy um, with music. I used to listen to classical music. And in classical music that I listened to, the point was to get as close as you could to the experience of the concert hall. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, I mean, I was the last person in the world to discover the Black Eyed Peas. (laughs) (laughs) But what I discovered in the Black Eyed Peas was the manipulation you make after you make the music. Absolutely. And so that taught me, um, that took me into a big step into how I make art. So um, when I first came out of RISD in 2011, you know, I'd had my hand slapped so many times about using text and about discursive meaning. So um, I did not use text except for the very first piece I made, which was pure text, just because I was... That's so desperate to have words. But uh, for uh, several years, I didn't use words. Um, I started making artist books in 2013 Mm -hmm. that were purely visual. And then I would say it's taken me a year since it's been um, this year will be a decade since I graduated from RISD that I have felt free to use words and sometimes a lot of words. Sure. Uh, so yes, it has changed. It has. And I'll add one last thing. Sure. Um, my because that I have moved around a lot in the last year, uh, partly because of artist residencies. Um, I was at McDowell um, 
a year and some months ago, the end of 2019, right. and then at Bolyasco in the spring a year ago. And I couldn't carry large stuff around. So I now work sketchbook size. Okay. Um, I, I expect that we will be here long enough for me to get back to, say, I don't know, um, 18 by 24, maybe. But I don't see myself working much larger than that. I see. Great. Now, you mentioned the use of text. And one of my favorite artists, along with you, um, is Barbara Kruger. Sure. And she's a Newark native. Yes, and, I just uh, learned that. Yes. And uh, Barbara's use of text and images yeah. has been sort of, um, you know, that sort of iconic way of communicating. Yes. yes. And so your, your use of text and images seems to be a much more classic way because of your images are, um, um, they're portraits, they're landscapes, they're, there are a variety of images that are um, handmade versus photographs. I know you For use sure. photography yeah. also. Yeah. So, were you influenced by Barbara at all, or did you come to know her later in your practice? Uh, I knew her when I was an under, I discovered her as an undergraduate. So that would be like between 2006 and 2009 mm-hmm. at Mason Gross. But I, I never connected her art with mine. Oh. Okay. Um, it's her way of using irony uh, and deadpan, and even uh, her typography is different. So when I use text, I handwrite it. Okay. And uh, so I, I never thought of her as my influence. Okay. Um, but I very much, as a feminist, I have always loved her work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned uh, McDowell. Um, in 1962, and I looked this up recently, uh, James Baldwin published The Creative Process about the role of the artist in society. Yes. You mentioned this piece while attending the McDowell residency in 2019. How has that piece, that creative process document, informed your art practice? It really hasn't. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you why. Um, uh, James Baldwin is kind of the patron saint of McDowell. Oh, he was okay. one of the early fellows there in the 50s. McDowell was lily white until the mid-50s, like most things in the United States, yeah. <laughs> or like many things in the United States. So he was one of the early McDowell fellows who was Black. And he, he went there, I think, at least twice, maybe more. But at any rate, uh, a few years ago, Mc McDowell uh, rechristened its library. So it's now the Baldwin Library. Mm -hmm. And when you walk in, the first thing you see is a Buford Delaney portrait of Baldwin. Mm -hmm. However, when I started thinking about Baldwin as a sort of forerunner uh, for myself, I didn't find his work about disruption um, helpful or I mean, I found it interesting. Sure. But yeah, I didn't feel that it applied because at that time, which was 2020, I felt that there was so much disruption going on in the world that I wanted artists to help me cope with disruption. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think the new show at the new museum. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, in in Wazor, um show uh, grief and grievance does that. Absolutely. By, uh, grappling with trauma, but with the work of various artists showing how art Heart doesn't heal us. Art doesn't necessarily stir us up anymore in a stirred up time, but it can, it can be another way of envisioning um, disorder. Absolutely. Thank you. Now, as a historian and artist, you've been covering America in so many dynamic and challenging artistic ways. What's next for you? Um, what's next? I can tell you exactly okay. because one of the reasons my day was so disarrayed today was that I finished a uh, 6,500 word essay mm. on one of the three founders of the Museum of Modern Art. And writing that took me two and a half months, um, which is a long time. And it's a long piece. Mm-hmm. And doing the research and writing for that was like working on Sojourner Truth, you know, pulling together just bits and pieces to try to make a coherent biography. So that took a long time. And it means that today was the final day. I got up early this morning and I did the last revision. I'm, you know, I'm going to send it out to people and they will tell me what to do. Glenn is my my faithful and excellent reader. And so there'll be more to do, but it's in a place now where it can, it's, it's gelled for a moment. Okay. So that's a big milestone tomorrow, not tomorrow. I'm going to take off tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, I think I'll take off Sunday too, but then it's taxes. Sure. Okay. And after taxes, I'm going to turn to the new project. Um, which will pick up where American whiteness since Trump left off, but it's somewhat different. Um, some time ago, when I was talking to my agent about what's next, and you know, people are always asking me to do um, history of white people for dummies because my book is a dense intellectual history. Mm-hmm. And you know, people have to read it over the course of months practically. So I mean, you know, let's do a history of white people for dummies. And that will also bring it up to date. So in the fall, I will start this new big project, which will be, I mean, I can't call it the history of white people for dummies because that phrase is uh, copyrighted up the kazoo. Sure. So we're calling it, um, uh, what are we calling it? Oh. A new history of white people illustrated by the author. Ah, okay. And so that will go back to antiquity. And I've already been imagining those images of uh, ancient statuary wearing the clothes of American white people now mm-hmm. to show how how silly it is to think you can read race back over the millennia. Sure. So that that's where that will start, and it will come right up to 
whenever I finish, which will uh, probably be 2021, 2022. Great. Uh, now, are you referring to visual images? Yes. And so what, what, how will they, how will we see them? Will they be drawn? Will they be They're, photos? It, Manipulate. It'll, it'll, it will, they will fall into what you have seen with American whiteness since Trump and from slavery to freedom and I knit socks for Adrian. So it's, it'll be that kind of page. Okay. So it's sort of a mashup of, of art and text. Yes, and, exactly. And, and very extraordinary information. Right? And I hope it'll be funny too. <laughs> well, funny will be will be will be needed. Uh huh. So, uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with us relative to your practice, relative to Nork, and some of the? You know, I had asked uh, Richard uh, Wesley about some of his favorite cultural destinations in Newark. What What have been some of your favorite cultural destinations? Um, well, I love Express Newark. Mm-hmm. I miss El Jaira terribly. I miss City Without Walls. Mm-hmm. And I miss a pharaoh. Uh, all of these art places were, were very um, nourishing to me. Uh, my first artist residency was at a pharaoh. Okay. And at a pharaoh still going on, going strong. It, it is, but like every cultural place, like every place, sure. uh, it, it has suffered in coronavirus time. Sure. Were you a res- you were a resident there? Yes. Okay. Great. Uh, 2011, 2012. And what about either the museum or the library? Were the um, sort of well, we attend events in both places, but I don't I don't sort of hang out there. Sure. Um, one of the things about um, having been a professor is that I have a library of my own which I actually would like to give away. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, those are places to go sort of for uh, amusement, in a way, you know, entertainment at the library, entertainment at the museum. Mm-hmm. I think the last show I saw at the museum um, was African Fabrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Newark Museum um, is amazing. It has the large yeah. Tibetan collection yeah, it's old. Yes, it's it's amazing. So I wanted to end on this note. Um, we all know that art inspires, art educates, and art changes minds. Yeah. Thank you for creating work that demonstrates the power of art. Oh, why thank two, you. Three, thank you so much. Tune in next time for another conversation with our guest. We'll share their Newark, New Jersey cultural journey. If you'd like to share your Newark, New Jersey story, go to our website and submit your unique journey on our contact page. I'm your host, Roger Tucker. I look forward to sharing these fascinating Newark, New Jersey conversations with you sometime soon. So long and be well.